happy. And many times we are perplexed and our perception is actually stronger than reality. I'm reminded of, of, of Jacob who, who lived a great portion of his adult life believing that his precious boy Joseph was dead. And even though Jacob's perception was that Joseph was dead, indeed he was alive and well and flourishing. These two disciples we're going to look at this morning, they were in the depths of despair thinking that their Savior was in the tomb, not realizing that he was alive and well. So I want to speak to you this morning on a subject entitled, An Emmaus Road Experience. I believe that each one of us from time to time need to have an Emmaus Road experience. Luke 24, verse 13. Says, and behold, two of them went that day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs, about miles. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Are thou only a stranger in Jerusalem? Things which are come to pass there in these days. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. This went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh into the village whither they went. Though he would have gone further, they constrained him. to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Thank you this morning on a subject entitled, An Emmaus Road experience. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I commit this service into your hands. God, that you might be glorified. Let this message be an offering unto you, God. And I trust that you will do as you see fit, because your word will never return void. If there be one discouraged here today, Lord God, that they would see, Father, there's every reason to be thankful, every reason to rejoice. If there be one listening today who's not saved, today be their eternal birthday, God, where they, they become born again into the family of God. I ask you to be glorified 
and all that I say and do. Hide me behind the cross. Let him not see me hear your words. Let me speak in the oracles of God. These things in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen. We find these two, and it says that the two of these men, they went the same day to a village called Emmaus. Emmaus was about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. Not much is said about, we don't know much about Emmaus. This is actually the only reference there is in the Bible to this place called Emmaus. And the place is not necessarily of, of any significance other than the fact that these two are on their way home. And they have, they have left Jerusalem, and they're discouraged. They're despondent. Because three days have passed since their Savior was crucified. And they are, uh, they are dealing with all of the, the, uh, the issues of life. They're dealing with all of their expectations that have been unmet. I want to say this to you, church family, those who are listening. There will be times in your life when you will suffer great disappointment. You've heard the old country song, God never promised you a rose garden. And that's the truth. There is one thing that Jesus did promise us. He said, in this, word, in this world, you'll have trouble. You'll have tribulation. He said, however, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's every reason for us to, to rejoice. And when we are discouraged, and when we are despondent, and when the expectations of our life have not been met, when disappointment seems to be the order of the day, we need an Emmaus Road experience. These two are walking back to, uh, to Emmaus. And they talked together, they said, of all the things that had happened. Now, what things are in the back of their mind? What things are they discussing? discussing? What things are in the forefront of their mind? Well, no doubt the week had been a, a week of, of summits, of peaks, of apexes, and also a time of great valley and a great despair. How many of you know your life can change in a moment? It can change in an instant. Circumstances change. God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But life is changing. You won't always be on the mountain. But praise God, you won't always be in the valley either. They're in the valley here. And they're talking about the things that have happened. No doubt they flash back to that, that, uh, that Palm Sunday when Jesus came riding in to Jerusalem on the donkey, fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. And all the people, there was a great fever pitch of excitement. No doubt they were thinking about all the crowds that were crying, Hosanna in the Hebrew, Yashana, save now, we beseech thee, O Lord, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. No doubt they remembered how that he rode into Jerusalem triumphantly. No doubt they remembered how he had cursed the fig tree, how he had cleansed the temple. They no doubt were thinking about how he had put the scribes and the Pharisees to shame. They had tried to trip him up with their questions, but he ended up making them look like fools. He turned the tables on them. No doubt they remembered all of the things that he had spoken. Perhaps the uh, disciples had relayed the message of the Olivet Discourse, where Jesus described the, the coming of Christ and the end of the age. And, and they were excited about all of these things, only to be met with Good Friday, which for them was not good for us. It's good because we know Sunday's coming. And they see, they see their, their Savior has been handed over to the chief priest and the, to the scribes who ultimately hand him over to the Romans to be crucified. And at that moment, all of their hopes, all of their messianic expectations have been dashed into pieces. And no doubt they're talking about these things as they're walking on the road. But as they're discussing these things, there's a stranger that comes to meet them. <laughs> 
In verse 15, it says, it came to pass. I love that phrase in the Bible. It came to pass. I want to tell you this morning, if you're going through a hard time, your trouble didn't come to stay. It came to pass. Your disappointment, it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. You need an Emmaus Road experience. It says, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near. Glory to God. Do you read that in your Bible? It says, Jesus himself drew near. Beloved, when we are talking about the Lord, Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together in his name, there is he in the God on the scene, begin to talk about the Lord, begin to reason and commune about the scriptures, and you'll see that Jesus Christ will draw unto you. James says it this way, draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. We're always waiting on God to do something, and so I believe God's waiting on us. Draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. And as they commune together and they reason and they talked, no doubt they were probably comparing scripture with scripture. They had, uh, they had a limited understanding of Scripture. They had a flawed understanding of Scripture. They only saw one facet of the Messiah. They only saw him as a political deliverer. They only saw him as a, 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 a king. They only saw him as a monarch. They didn't see him as a suffering Messiah. They didn't see that he was a, a Passover lamb. What John the Baptist said went completely over their heads when he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The six, verse 16, eyes were that they should not know him. God in his providence did not reveal exactly who he was to Cleopas and his companion. And I believe there's a reason for that, and we're going to see in just a moment. For one thing, we see an important principle in Scripture, and that is that the focus is not on the messenger, but on the message. Get your eyes off the preacher. Get your eyes off your fellow man. Get your eyes on the Word of God. What we're going to see, that, that the, the key to having an Emmaus Road experience is to get into the Word of God, to let your doubts be starved, to let your faith be fed. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We don't need, uh, we don't need more philosophy. We don't need more ideology. We don't need more denominationalism. What we need is the Word of God. We need it because it's quick, it's alive, it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall never pass away. The word of God is living, it's active, it's quick, it's sharper. Two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and of the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We need the word of God. And their eyes were holden. They could not see him. They didn't recognize Jesus Christ in his resurrected body. Verse 17, he says, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? Now, Jesus is not asking this question because he didn't know the answer. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew not only uh, every word that they had spoken, but he knew exactly what was in their heart. I know some of you think, well, nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands my problems. I tell you, there is one who understands. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that every hair on your head is numbered. He knows every sparrow that falls to the ground. He knows exactly every detail of your heart. Peter says that we have a Savior that cares for us. And because of that, he said, cast all of your care upon him because he cares for you. I'm here to tell you this morning, God cares about you. You say, well, nobody cares. There is one that cares. God cares. Jesus Christ cares. And I'm glad that he gives you an opportunity to talk. Aren't you glad that God gives you an opportunity to talk to him about your problems? 
I'm reminded of that old hymn. Have a little talk with Jesus. Amen. Tell him all about our troubles. Woo. Glory to God. Tell him, not because he doesn't know already, but because he wants you to tell him all about it. He wants you to commune with him. He wants to hear you. He wants it to come out of your mouth. And now Cleophas begins to, to say some things. And as we'll see in just a moment, he's going to indict himself. But Cleopas, it's kind of comical here. He says, are you only a stranger here in Jerusalem and that have not known the things that are come to pass in these days? No doubt he's relaying everything from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Silent Saturday. He says, are you a stranger? What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus Christ, that he was the central figure during this Passover week in Jerusalem. That what was done was not done in a corner. That it was done for all of the nation of Israel to behold. The nation of Israel. The Lord came into his own and his own received him not. But unto them that received him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Now, in verse 19, I, I have to believe there's a little touch of humor here. Jesus said, what things? What are you talking about, guys? What? He wanted to know. He wanted to hear them articulate what they were feeling. Church God wants to hear what you're thinking. He wants to hear what you're feeling. You say, well, I'm ashamed to tell God what I'm thinking. He already knows anyway. The Bible says all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. However, it also says, let us come therefore boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You say, well, I'm struggling with unbelief, Henry. That's okay. God knows that. Come to him and say, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You say, oh, I'm struggling with a sin, Brother Henry. That's all right. God knows you're struggling. Say, Lord, I'm struggling. I know that you were tempted in all points like as I am and yet without sin. And I can come to you and you can help me. You say, well, I've sinned, Brother Henry. I got good news for you. The Bible says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You know what an advocate is, don't you? It's an attorney. You've got a Jewish lawyer that's never lost a case. Hallelujah. He's never lost a case. And you can come to that Jewish lawyer and you can say, God, forgive me of my sins. I confess my sins. And the Bible says that he will not only forgive you, but he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Amen. Cleopas begins to talk to him. He said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. Well, yes, he was a prophet, but he was much more than that. He was that prophet that Moses said would be like unto him. But he was more than a prophet. He was mighty indeed before God and all the people. Of course he was. God vindicated him. God, uh, God manifested himself through the ministry of Jesus. The dead were raised. The lepers were cleansed. They were healed. The blind received their sight. Every prophecy of the Messiah was fulfilled. He says how the chief priest, verse 20, and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. Notice they didn't blame the Romans. They didn't blame the Romans. They said it was our, the chief priests. It was the religious rulers. But ultimately, if you know your Bible, you know that it was even bigger than the chief priest. It was bigger than Pilate. The plot was bigger than the chief priests and the scribes. The Bible says that God himself preordained that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was not some plan that just was set into motion during Passover week. This was in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. It was the preordained by the foreknowledge and preordained counsel of God. 
This was bigger. And they didn't understand these things. I want to say this to you. There's nothing that happens to you in your life that doesn't have to pass through the filter of God. You say, well, does that mean God's doing bad things to me? Sometimes bad things do happen, to quote good people. And what we really ought to question is why do good things <laughs> happen to bad people? That's the real question because the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. However, even when bad things happen to you, church, it doesn't mean that God has left you. The Bible says that Jesus would never leave you and he will never forsake you. Now look at verse 21. Here we get to the root of the problem. It says, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Well, I hate to break the news to Cleopas, but that's exactly what Jesus did. But said that they were looking for a political redeemer, but what they really needed was a spiritual redeemer. They needed to be redeemed not from Rome. They needed to be redeemed from sin. You know, your, your biggest issue is not your problem. The biggest issue in the world is not the coronavirus, the COVID-19. The biggest problem is not uh, famines and pestilence and all that stuff. The biggest problem in the world today is sin. But thank God the solution. There is a remedy for sin. Jesus Christ redeemed. He paid the price for your sin and for my sin. Notice their expectations were unrealistic. A lot of times we're disappointed with God because we have unbiblical And that's why these prosperity preachers, uh, they need to get back in their Bible. These guys that only preach health and wealth and success, they need to dig into the pages of the Scripture because not only do good things happen to the saints, come. Peter says it this way. He said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. God will try your faith at times. Job was the godliest man who ever lived during his time. And, and even God himself said that. He said, you considered my servant Job, there's none like him in all the earth. And yet God allowed him to be tested. Look at the end of verse 21. This is kind of comical too. He said, well, besides all this, today's the third day. How many times did Jesus tell the disciples? How many times did he tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed by the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to be killed. Oh, and by the way, on the third day, I'm going to rise again. How many times did he told them that? And they said, well, it's the third day. Well, guess what, Cleopas? Jesus is alive and well. Now, he begins to indict himself even more, verse 22. He says, yes, certain women also of our company made us astonished. They were early at the sepulcher. They found not his body, and they came, saying that they had seen a vision of angels. They didn't receive the witness of the, they didn't receive the, witness of the angels. And he says, uh, even Peter, uh, and we know John came to the tomb also, that they came, but they didn't find him. They found an empty tomb, but no body. The tomb is still empty. The tomb is still... You can go to the tomb of every religious leader who has ever lived. And guess what? They're still in the tomb. You can go to the tomb of every philosopher. You can go to the tomb of every agnostic, of every atheist, of everyone that's ever hated God. You can visit their tomb and the remains will still be there. But if you were to go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, you'll find that it's empty. It's been empty for over 2,000 years now. He's alive forevermore with the keys of hell and death. 
Then in verse 25, Jesus said, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? He said, this was all part of God's plan. You should have been reading your Bible all along. You should have been reading the Bible all along, knowing that God was because it was foretold in the scriptures. And then in verse 27, we get to what I call the greatest sermon you never heard. The greatest sermon you never heard. I would have loved to have heard this sermon. It says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded in them in all. You notice that word all? In all the scriptures concerning himself. Boy, that must have been a, a Sunday school lesson. This was a Sunday night church service like nobody's ever had before. Glory to God. This was a Sunday night service like never before. I can only imagine that he may have taken, he may have taken, uh, taken Cleopas to, to uh, chapter 1 of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he showed that he was God the Word in the very first pages of the Scripture. I imagine he might have taken him to the third chapter when Adam and Eve sinned and God proclaimed. He said, one day the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. I imagine he might have taken him to Genesis 22 when Abraham is told to offer his only son. Now he had two sons, but God said, offer your only son. Oh, hallelujah. Offer his only son on Mount Moriah, the same place where Jesus Christ would be crucified. And I'm sure that he took him in the Old Testament showed him that Isaac was a picture of the Son of God laying down his life. I'm sure he showed himself as the ram in the thicket, the Lamb of God who would be our substitute. <laughs> Praise God. Jehovah Jireh. I'm sure he took him into the Exodus and showed the Passover lamb and how that one day the Lamb of God would come and he would die once for all to take away the sins of the world. I believe he probably took him out in the wilderness and showed the rock that the waters came forth from the rock. I bet he took him into the wilderness and showed them the manna that came down from heaven, that Jesus Christ is the bread of heaven that comes down from heaven. I bet he took him into the wilderness where the serpent was, where Moses lifted up the serpent. And he said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Glory to God. I bet he took him all through the scriptures, took him all through the, all of the types and shadows of the Old Testament sacrifices, knowing that he's God. I bet he took him into the Psalms and Psalm 22 and showed where the Messiah would be crucified even hundreds of years before crucifixion would even be invented. He showed that he would be betrayed by one of the inner circle. He showed him in the Psalms that he would be pierced in his hands and his feet. I believe that he showed him in the Psalms that his soul would not be left in the grave, that he would be resurrected. I bet he took him over to Isaiah and showed where the suffering Messiah, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, he would be chastised for our peace, and that by his stripes we would be healed. Glory to God. I bet he took him to Bethlehem and the prophets and showed that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. I bet he showed him in Daniel's prophecy that the 70th weeks of 70 weeks of Daniel would come to pass and that from the decree of Artaxerxes there would be 69 weeks of years and precisely the Mashiach, Hamashiach, the Messiah would come present himself on Palm Sunday. I believe he took him into Zechariah and showed where Jerusalem would see their king coming. Holy behold, on a donkey he would come riding into Jerusalem. Amen. I believe he took him. He gave him a the greatest sermon heard. Go ahead and give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. 
He showed them all the things. Sorry, I got a little worked up there. And it says that they drew nigh to the village where they went. And Jesus made it so he would have gone further. You see, God doesn't force himself on you. He acted like he was going to go a little bit further. He acted like he was going to go. And he had lodging. And so they would have assumed he had a place to go. But it says that they constrained him. The word in English is not strong enough. In the Greek, it literally means they compelled him. They forced him to stay with him. Now, keep in mind, they don't know he's Jesus yet. So they're is completely in accordance with the word of God. They're not having a, uh, they're not seeing the miracle of Jesus in a resurrected body. They're, they're not uh, comprehending what they are experiencing is the word of God. The Bible has come alive to them. Do you know if you'll get along with God and begin to pray, the word of God will come alive to you? Amen. It will. It says the day is far spent and he went in to tarry with them. They wanted him to come in. And it says, and it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Now this was unusual. Remember, he's a guest in their place. He's not going. He's not at his house. Uh, he, he's in their house. And it was customary for the host to be the one that broke the bread. But Jesus reversed the order of things. And he began to break the bread. Now I do not believe this was communion. I believe this was just a common meal. They were eating a common meal. Don't miss God in the common things. Don't miss God in the ordinary. We're always looking for some huge thing, some huge sign or wonder. Don't miss God working in the everyday ordinary things of life because he's there. He's there even in the little things. And it says he took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to them. Now maybe those nail-scarred hands, maybe they had uh, seen him break bread before. We're not sure. We're not sure exactly what the key was, but it says their eyes were opened and they knew him. And poof, it's out of their sight. Amazing. Their faith, their faith had now become sight. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. They believed not because Jesus revealed himself to them, but they believed because the word of God came to them and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now notice what happened. Verse 32, and I'm bringing this thing to a close. It says, and they said one to another, did our heart not burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened us the scriptures? Now, a lot of us would have loved to have sat and listened to Jesus preach that great sermon and expound from the Old Testament all the things concerning himself. And a lot of us would enjoy it simply from a knowledge standpoint. The Bible says that knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge will give you a big head. You know what? God's not looking for a big head. You know what he's looking for? A burning heart. Amen. <laughs> God wants your, the word of God to penetrate you. And you're studying the word of God not just so you can spout off facts. Not just so you can quote scripture and show people how smart you are. But so that you can be changed from the inside out. The word of God is quick, it's powerful, and God wants you heart, He wants your heart to burn. He doesn't want your head to explode. He wants your heart to burn. And I didn't, verse 33, here we go. The bell is telling me it's time for me to stop. It says, they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven together. This is my last point. Now keep in mind, it's late in the day. They are, it was already nighttime. Uh, and, and here these guys, they're so excited 
They are so filled with the Holy Spirit uh, after, after seeing Jesus Christ and after having the Word of God open unto them. What do they do? They turn around and they're ready to go seven miles into the night back to Jerusalem. Glory to God. I believe when you get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, when the Word of God quickens you and makes you alive, you're going to tell somebody about it. That's the evidence of your faith. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all you got to do is call on the name of the Lord. Repent of your sins. A change of mind which results in a change of heart which will demonstrate in a life of obedience unto God and obey His Word. If you're discouraged here this morning, I'm going to pray for you. If you need God to touch your life, if you're dealing with the, the, the awful feelings of disappointment, I want you to ask God to give you an Emmaus Road experience. Get along with the Word of God and let Him change you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you as a sinner. I confess to you that I need Jesus Christ. I'm lost and undone without you. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. I believe that he's alive forevermore. God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, I pray for those that are discouraged today that they would have an Emmaus Road experience. I pray for those who are, who are feeling bewildered, those who don't know what's going to happen, those who are just trying to get through one day at a time. And God, we don't know the future, but we know that you hold the future, that you know the end from the beginning. And God, I pray for each one that is discouraged today that you would comfort their hearts. I pray for all those that are sick that you would heal their bodies. And we give you the praise for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God will deliver. Savior, Savior.